Dollars and Hops podcast, where we help you optimize your financial future. Here are your hosts, Scott and Lance. And we're back. Welcome to the Dollars and Hops podcast. We hope you're doing well. My name is Lance. I'm one of your hosts, and I am joined by my prestigious, his reputation precedes him, Scott, my co-host, up in Charm City. What's up, bro? How are you, man? Lance, it's been far too long. We've left the way too long, hanging. man. What are we doing? I, what are we doing, dude? I know dude? the the Will's episode is going to come out, and then this will probably come out a little bit after that. But reality is, it's been a while. It's been a while, so it's good to get back to it. Too long. Drink a craft beer. Talk about some finance. Let's get back in it, man. Let's do. This. Let's get right back into it. And before we do that, you know, we got to just talk. Like football season has started. You know, no. like, like I, I think the la- I think I was just editing the Wills episode, and uh, you know, you need to get a Will. That was our last episode, and we were talking about the Ravens preseason record, and I was realizing, man, this is gonna be out of date, but it's still funny and uh, and it's great. And then I just had to look back at the fantasy football league and realize that you're near the bottom, bro. You're near the bottom, and I think you know I didn't want to say I'm looking ahead, but I think I got you next week, and uh, you know. This episode today is going to be on taking risks, and uh, I just want to let everybody know I don't really need to take a whole lot of risks in playing Scott's team this year because it's a little bit hurting at the bottom of the pack this year. But uh, anyway, you know what, Lance? I don't. I don't. I don't look at. I don't look at records after week four. That's all I can say. Okay. I don't. I, well, I like good. to look at them at the end of the year, and, and I don't even know if you look at your team after week four after the kind of uh, performance oh, I've seen. Out of that. But uh, anyway, a few more uh, weeks. We have an amazing episode lined up for you today, <laughs> tonight. Uh, we are going to be continuing our winning mindsets uh, series of episodes, and this one is on risk taking and the importance of risk taking. I'm excited about it. Um, Scott's put some awesome work into this. I'm busting him up a little bit here, but, uh, uh, I'm excited for what he's prepared for us here. So Scott, um, you want to introduce our hops section? Yeah. For those of you that do not know, Lance and I will sip on a craft brew each and every episode at the end. We put them head to head and establish a victor. It's our way of having a little bit of fun on the pod. Uh, Lance, what are you sipping on tonight? So we're, we are recording this in early October, 2021. And it's time, ladies and gentlemen, to bust out the pumpkin beers. Mm. I'm a fan. If you've been listening to the podcast, you go back to last fall. The pumpkin beers, just they do something around football season, a little crisp in the air. There's something about it. And uh, this one caught my eye. It's going to be out of D9 Brewing Company out of Crozet, Virginia. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not sure. I think so. Uh, This is the Imperial Pumpkin Ale uh, I'm excited to try it, and it's one of the first pumpkin beers I've tried of the season. Gotta love it. Uh, you know, pumpkin spice lattes are back. You know, what, what do you? What, I'm what sleeping you, on the pumpkin beers. I haven't had oh, one yet, so oh, you're inspiring me. On. I'm gonna go get one. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, so Lance, I'm gonna be sipping on uh, the Nimble Giant. This is a double IPA from Trogues Independent Brewing out of Hershey, Pennsylvania. I, I'm pretty sure my brother-in-law, Pat, got me this beer. So, Pat, shout out to you. Thank Pat. you very much for the beer. Looking forward to trying it. It's a, it's a double IPA, and it sounds like it's got some fruity notes. So it should be right up my alley. So. <laughs> nice. 
Let's roll with this. Nice. So, Lance, this week I wanted to do something a little different. Normally we pull a headline, and I had one. I had a headline ready to go for this episode, and then I got an email just a couple hours ago from a company called Republic. If you're not familiar with Republic, Republic is is a website that you can go on to and basically invest in like private companies. So you can, you know, get equity in in small up and coming companies. Not that I recommend that at all, but <laughs> I got this email from Republic. That's a risk. <laughs> it's it's very risky. But, you know, teach their own, right? Yeah, sure. But this this email says um, invest in music. So they're basically combining the idea of royalties mm. with NFTs and creating a way, and we've talked about NFTs, NFT is a non-fungible token. It's a way to basically verify uh, ownership of something on the blockchain, essentially. Yep. That's right. um, so essentially what Re Republic has done is teamed up with artists that have music and they've said, hey, if you want to sell the rights to your royalties, we can do it through an NFT. You can basically invest in songs or artists, and you get a portion as the investor of their royalties in return. And you're 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 getting that non-fungible token, which basically verifies ownership of that royalty. Um, so they're kind of matching investors with um, artists and giving away for the artist to be able to cash in now on future, uh, you know, monetary gain that they would get through their through their royalty. So I thought this was pretty cool. I wanted to talk about this because I yes, yes, yes. I love that you sent this to me right before we were recording this episode tonight. And I responded. I was like, Scott, we got to put this on the pod this is right up my alley, man. I think for those of you who don't know, I'm I'm a, a wannabe, I'll call it a wannabe musician, an aspiring musician. No, you're, you're good, man. We, Man, you're too kind. Uh, we, we've got stuff out there on Spotify. So I know a little bit about how the royalty system works. And just as a heads up for our listeners, when you publish a piece of content, right, let's call it a, a song, and you write it, it's original music, and you master it, you get it all right, you spend time, effort, money. You put it out there on Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon Music and Pandora picks it up and all these places. It's fairly easy to do that nowadays, by the way. It's pretty cool. Uh, all of a sudden, it starts getting plays. You start getting royalties. And you're like, man, these royalties. We start getting royalties. This is pretty cool, right? Right. You get a half a penny a stream. <laughs> That's what but it amounts to. I don't know if people know this. You get a half a penny a stream on Spotify Apple Music, Amazon Music, and a stream is at least 30 seconds. So oh, okay. if it goes at least 30 seconds, it counts as a stream. The analytics are insane. Scott, I need to, I need to send you one of the reports I get on the co-work on Spotify. Uh, shameless plug. Go check us out on Spotify so I can get a few half a pennies, you know, start <laughs> saving for college funds for there my kids. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I mean, it's cool. I, I love, love this because I think this is – a perfect example of how new technologies like the blockchain NFTs, which is so hot right now, but thinking about how innovative companies will come along and create new ideas and have innovative ideas on how to apply these new, te new technologies to existing industries where there's inefficiencies or there's opportunities for growth. 
So think about this from an artist's perspective because that's that's a lot of the times I'm coming at this and I'm trying to market our music, right, to specific demographics and trying to get the word out there. It's hard. It's difficult. You got to use social media. You got It takes a lot of time, effort, word of mouth. What if all of a sudden you have a few kind of diehard fans who are willing to pay 100 bucks, 150 bucks to help support the local artist who they like and support and agree with the music and they get a little share of the ownership of those royalties forever ongoing as long as it exists on Spotify which is to the end of time which is awesome and in return the artist gets money and a new kind of like marketing effort out of that person right where they're going to be like a voice they're going to be kind of like grassroots marketing because they're going to be uh, incentivized incentives make the world go round they're going to have an incentive to make sure all their friends and family know about this great new song from their favorite artist that they just invested a hundred dollars into and now have ownership right this is really cool i love it yeah and it's like it, it's it's really taking out a uh, you, you you know you hear the you hear the phrase like taking out the middleman and i think the middleman can can definitely be valuable in some cases um i was reading up on this it says in a 40 billion dollar global market only 12 percent goes back to the artists there you go that's the half a penny man 12 percent so the the middlemen are, are yeah. making more money than the artists 50 percent 60 percent 70 percent it's yeah come on man it's like ridiculous. so yeah, that, I mean, that's that's crazy. So creating these contracts, I mean, I, I feel like more of the money is going to be going to the artists kind of up front. They can do what they want with the money. And then as investors, you know, you have the rights to the royalties, which obviously could be be lucrative. And by making it an NFT, I feel like that also makes it so that it's more um, liquid as an investor. Yes. You can oh, basically cool. yeah. sell. You can sell your rights. Man, I didn't even think about easily, that. Yeah, of course, verifiably through an NFT, which is which I think is 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 really really cool. So this is the future. I mean, you're going to start seeing NFT applications in real world life every day. Sometimes you're not even going to know that it, that it is an NFT. Um, it's not even going to look like an NFT. You're not going to know it's on the blockchain, but it's going right. to be verified by the blockchain. So this That's technology right. is like here to stay. And it's just For really sure. cool. I, I, I just thought this was interesting. So definitely worth talking about. And Scott, think about this. If you're like a, a just a, if you're a lover of music and you just love finding new bands and I, I have a lot of friends like that, right? I, I kind of see myself that way. You find a new band and you're able to kind of maybe through the Spotify app or a third party app, you're able to kind of offer up and buy write this new song because they're not well known yet yeah. and you get to kind of buy and hold and, and have the ownership help kind of pump them up and kind of like help with their marketing efforts. And let's say the song now takes off and has a couple million hits on a Spotify or maybe 10 million hits or something or beyond. Now all of a sudden to your point, that NFT has very real value and a clear and safe uh, exchange, right? Where that has now, more value, your investment has gone up, essentially. You're not just collecting royalties off it. You can choose to sell it at that point for a lot more. I think it's just such, such a cool idea. I love it. Yeah, and in a way for the artists to definitely connect with their fans and offer them unique experiences at the end of the day. So I love it. A lot of applications for this. All right, Lance, let's go ahead and hop into the main topic. We're talking about risk-taking. 
Ooh. This is a winning mindsets episode. We, we've had, I think, one other winning mindset episode. We're, we're kind of interlacing these into the feed every yeah. few weeks. Um, just got some really important fundamental things that, that we really feel like um, separate uh, some of the most successful people from people that maybe aren't as successful as they would like to be. Um, and risk-taking, I feel like, is is one of those fundamental issues that Crucial. I feel like I feel Crucial. like a lot of people really struggle with. Yeah. Um, you know, most people don't feel like risk taking a risk is a fun thing. People like to be in their comfort zone because that's what they know, right? Yeah. Um, right. but oftentimes, you know, the the greatest reward comes from stepping outside of the box and really being able to take a risk. Um that you might you might think of it as a risk at the time, but really it might not even be that risky. It's just putting yourself out there and doing something that maybe you're not comfortable with. I mean, an example of that could be me and you starting this podcast, yeah, sure. getting outside of our comfort zone. Like, this is something yeah. that we don't we, we've never done. We've before. never we've never done a podcast <laughs> before. How do we do a podcast? How do I do that? The best way is to drink a beer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I don't know. Let's crack open a beer and, you know, have a couple of conversations and figure this thing out. Figure and, it out. Yeah. Here exactly. we are. Right. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, Scott, do you notice what I'm I'm wearing tonight? What, what am I wearing here? What, what, is that a tell? Ravens jersey? Um, darn right number Ravens 20 jersey. is Ed Reed. Ed Reed. Hall of Famer. So if he's not a Hall of Famer, he will be soon. Uh, I actually don't know if he's Hall of Famer or not. I'm pretty sure. He I is. think he I think he is. I think he is, too. So. Ed Reed, right? One of the greatest risk takers, I think, in football, right? In foot in the history of football. And, and the idea there, if you're a fan of football, and even if you're not a fan of football, I think you can appreciate this. As a defender, as a free safety, you know, the man was a ball hawk and he would just be sitting back there. And yeah, his job is to defend the football. But when he sees it up in the air, he's he's taking risks by jumping that pass route, by making a a kind of educated guess, a calculated risk and he didn't get to be ed reed the hall of famer one of the best free safeties ever to play the game by playing it safe by right. playing prevent defense right? right which for those of you who don't know that's the worst way to play defense and it's a curse for a lot of teams that get way ahead they try to settle down and let's just play prevent and back way off the ball right and just let them kind of and then that's when offenses would just kind of carve them up and all of a sudden make a comeback but instead ed reed the master of risk taking and not reckless risk taking, right? But calculated, like very, very strategic risks where he would kind of make bets almost on kind of because of the film study he did, right? Because of the preparation he did and knowing what the offensive tendencies would be of that quarterback or where his eyes were going, he could jump those routes, catch those balls and get those interceptions. And he dude, was a freak, man. So I just thought that was like in the spirit of risk taking, Man, Ed Reed, one of the greats. But look, we, we've got a, we've kind of got some bullet points here, Scott, about like what does risk taking do? Like, what? Why would we even entertain taking risks in my life? It sounds scary. It can be, you know, fearful. Uh, I don't know if I want to take risks, Scott, in, in my life, in my financial life, in my personal life, in my career. I just kind of want to play it safe all the time. You know, I just want to be be chill. Why would I take a risk? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, going back to your example with Ed Reed, him, you know, jumping those routes and taking those risks, at the end of the day, that led 
to new possibilities. Yeah. It led to obviously the Ravens being one of the best defenses we've we, we've winning seen winning a Super Bowl in, in you know in in twenty really since I don't know like the eighty five Bears mm-hmm. <laughs> may I say <laughs> as a Bears fan uh, no but, doubt but seriously yeah, man, for real yeah. uh, it, you know it, taking that risk ends up. It, it only generates positive things. Like there, there can certainly be negative things uh, from a from a short term view that that come out of taking a risk. You might fail, but in the process, you're learning, you're developing, you're getting better, and you know what works and what doesn't work. So, generating new possibilities, a great thing from risk taking. Um, I'd say you pretty much always gain mm. long term mm. from taking a risk. Because whether you win or you lose by taking that that risk, you've you've learned something, and you can apply that to the next thing that you do. Yeah, the the interesting thing about taking risks with finance is that we get to actually put a dollar amount on the failures, right? And we can actually say like that was a fail, right? I took this risk over here, did this thing, did this business, didn't work out. Put this money in this investment, didn't work out, and it cost me X. Well, instead of just like sulking about it, we get to say now like. Hey, that was, I basically just paid X dollars to get a course and learn and, and educating a real world course in learning about that thing, about that investment, about that type of business. This is why it failed. And so I can pick myself back up and now attack it in a different direction with new information, new experience that will change the outcome of the next endeavor or the next investment, right? Or the next career path or whatever. So I think so much of it is having like it's an attitude adjustment in addition to taking risk, but it's like taking risk with like positivity. And like, yeah, and it's like a it's a huge confidence boost oh, ultimately. Sure, yeah. So I look at this in in uh, so I, I think my wife is a good example of this. So um, about seven eight years ago, my wife decided to start a, a small business. Um, so I mean, she left her nine to five. She decided to start this business. I think. <laughs> there was hardly anybody that was telling her that this was a great idea. Mm. Um, ultimately, she did it. Um, she started the business. It's it's been a very successful business. Um, I think that she's probably in the in a, in a stage where she probably wants to move on, um, and she's basically in the position now where she has the confidence to start something new, a new business. Mm. So we're actually. Um, in the process of like looking at properties and she's basically going to be the, like a property manager for an Airbnb. Nice. So that's something new that she's going to get into. And I think that a lot of that has to do, like, I think she has the confidence to do that because of her experience with starting her own business seven, eight years ago. So, um, I think that wow. that's really, I think that's, that that's cool. It kind of gives you confidence to, to, to move forward and you learn so many different things in starting a business. And I mean, heck, there was an article, um, I can't remember. We sh- we shared it on, I think one of the last two podcasts about it was, it was looking at millionaires and it was like, I, I don't remember what the statistic was, but it was, it was a very high percentage of millionaires were business owners. Mm. Go figure. Right. So a lot of that risk that you take as a business owner can can definitely be fruitful um, if, you know, if you take that risk and, and put yourself out there and start something new. 
I love that, man. Thanks for sharing that story. And Courtney is a boss. That is, I love her story, y'all's story about that. I think that's so cool. And there's no doubt, man, that like the amount of experience that she gained from starting her own business and like just figuring it out as she goes on and like hiring people and having to fire people and figure things out. Like, yeah. of course, like it's going to give you like incredible confidence. And how about this? More confidence than just kind of coming out of college with a degree in whatever field with no real world experience. Right. I just think like that's it, a beautiful example. I think while we're sharing personal stories, when we were kind of getting this episode together and talking about different winning mindsets and, and risk taking, I couldn't help but think about even my own story in some ways. For those of you who don't know me personally, like about four years ago, um, we decided to kind of, because it was a passion of ours and it was something we wanted to be a part of, we decided to take a risk and to kind of quit my comfortable kind of day job that I had with a great company um, in Greenville, South Carolina, and moved down to Charleston with a team of folks, some of our closest friends, and help uh, plant a church, like a new church, in a, in a non-staff role. So I was volunteering. And so I had to find a, a new job to allow us and my family to make the move down to Charleston. And I made a complete career change and went from technology sales and kind of more of an inside you know, sales rep to sales manager. I was actually a sales manager at the time and gave that up to go back into the field as a sales rep uh, in the field face-to-face in medical device sales because it was something I was always interested in. I had a few friends who told me they thought I would be good at it um, you know, because of some strengths that I had and the strengths and weakness profile that I had kind of lined up with that. And they, man, I think you'll be good at this. So long story short, I won't bore you with the whole thing in this episode, maybe a future episode if you guys care enough about it, but basically took a huge risk and the amount of, um, I don't know, like life lessons I've learned in these past four years and, and some failures for sure. But honestly, like overwhelmingly, a lot of unexpected success. Um, I would have, I just think often I would have never experienced it if I was safely tucked away in my same cubicle, which honestly, Scott was my plan <laughs> from, from my own life. Right. It was my plan. Cause it was easy. It was comfortable and really, I think when we're talking about risk taking, that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, we're talking we about are getting all, outside the box. That's it. We all, it. we all have a box, right? We all have like an area where we are comfortable, yeah. whether it's with your finances, whether it's with your job, your family, you know, whatever it is. We have areas where we are so comfortable and just going through the motions and it's easy, right? And what we're saying is it's worth it to take some calculated risks that align with your values and your passions and, and what you value as a person, as a family. Um, it's, it's actually really important. It's really, really important. And so as we continue to go through these bullet points of like the, the benefits of risk taking, I think Scott and I are imploring you to look at your own life, look at yourself, look yourself in the mirror and just say like, am I taking like an appropriate level of risks like in my life, in my career, in my investments and whatever it is, or am I playing it too safe? I think because that's a that's a risk in of yeah. itself. Yeah, I, I love that story, Lance. I, I I really love that story, and and I think it's it's like it's easier to do when you're surrounded by people that are encouraging. I I like to think that your your little mm. crew that's around you very encouraging for not, sure. That's oh, that's yeah, definitely sure. not the case for everybody. Yeah. So um, that's true. 
I think sometimes you have to tune out the noise depending mm-hmm. on kind of who's who's around you and kind of what their what their you know emotions are and how they feel about certain things and how risk averse that they can be. Um, but you you said it about Courtney, and the same was true for me. I, I did have some people in Greenville, and and they were doing it out of love, and they were they were thinking they were doing the right thing, and they're like, "Hey, are you sure you want to do? This? I don't. know. This seems risky, man. Yeah. Like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. yeah, man. I know it's risky. Yeah. And it's a it's a calculated risk. And to your point, if I didn't have, I think the the community around me who was able to pour into me and say like, no man, like this is what we're doing. And like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be, it's going to be okay. You're a hard worker. You're going to figure it out. Like things are going to be great. I had plenty of guys and and gals in my life who had poured into me in that way. And you're absolutely right. It's crucial. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It really is. So I I found this, um, you know, say what you will about Mark, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, but, and and, you know, in the hot seat right now in the hot seat, Facebook a little bit in the, He, he said, in a world that's changing so quickly, the biggest risk that you can take is not taking any risk. Mm. And, it's and true, I, man. I could I not agree really more, true. both really personally, true. financially, uh, pretty much everything. I mean, you got you, you to gotta take some risk. Um, otherwise, you're, you're really not going to develop into the person that you need to be. Uh, playing prevent a, defense. You're losing yeah, you're the game. Playing, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're playing yeah. prevent defense all day, every day. So Lance, another thing that I, I definitely want to hit on is, is overcoming fear because we talk about risks and I feel like, Mm. I feel like fear is just such a big thing. Like, um, and I think it kind of comes from like, I call it analysis paralysis. Like literally, you are like overthinking it's it just a hundred percent. Like you think mm, that you need to like know every mm. single thing about <laughs> something that you're about to take a risk on. You just gotta when, go out there and swing it, man. <laughs> that's, when really that's you just right, need to right. get out there, swing the club. Yeah. Uh, I, I and think, then you got to make adjustments on the fly. Overcoming fears is one of the, I think being fearful of what might happen. What if the, what if question really that, that kind of comes from a place of fear and it's good to plan. It's good to plan for scenarios of like, what if this happens? Yeah, it's good to think about those things. However, if the what if thoughts are like ruling your mind and keeping you from even ever taking on any risk at all, when there's real potential upside, I would just, I would ask you to kind of question that and to push back on that a little bit. Fear almost kept my wife and I from having children. Wow. Fear almost kept us from kind of moving to Charleston and the greatest adventures, uh, the greatest adventure of our lives. Uh, Fear almost kept us from, uh, you know, (laughs) the amount of people we've met like along our journey. And like you talked earlier, Scott, about like just taking action, taking a step, and then the entire horizon of opportunity changes. Right. Right. And, And you can't, in ways, that you can't even predict or forecast, but be, those opportunities came to you or those relationships or those like potential, like new relationships with people you never would have known or even like family members, like through kids or whatever, like they came available to you because you took a step, right? Out of right. risk, even though there was fear there. And if we let our fears just kind of like overwhelm us, uh, I'm afraid that we are leaving we're leaving major opportunity on the table. And a lot of times the fears are just 
I mean, for lack of a better term, they're just complete BS. Like you're just psyching yourself out. And the best way to overcome those fears is to take a baby step. There you go. That might be picking up the phone and making one call to some company that was going to help you do something that you're scared about. Yeah. That, 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 it could just be a baby step. It could be two baby steps. But just take a couple steps and see yeah. if maybe it's the right thing for you to do. Uh, and it might not really be as... I feel like most risks really aren't as risky as they seem on the surface. When you actually peel back the mm, layers, good. it's yeah. not as risky as you as you initially thought. Um, and it's, it's, it's probably the right move. It's just that most people aren't doing it because they're too scared. They're too comfortable. Yeah, no, that, that's really good. I, I think coming out of the fear piece, um, once I was actually able to get over my fears and take the risk, the, the thing that kind of got in the way of success for me personally, like in my, in my new job was definitely confidence. Yeah. I, I lacked confidence into stepping into something brand new that I'd never, never done before. I had stepped out of my comfort zone. I had, you know, calculated all the risk, counted up the fears, said, all right, I'm going to do this, step into it. And now where's my confidence? I didn't have any, right? I had, I had to like go find it. I had to like manufacture it. I had to kind of create it in some ways. And I had some mentors, at, which are super crucial. You got to have mentors in your life, like for your career, for your spirituality, for friends. You know, I count Scott as like one of my closest friends, but he's also, I count him as a mentor of mine as well. Um, and I have many mentors in my life. If you don't have mentors in your life who are able to kind of help you instill confidence where you are strong and when you're questioning yourself, and realizing like you start wondering like can i actually do this like is this too much for me and those that kind of negative self talk starts to creep in that imposter syndrome of like i'm not supposed to be here like i don't belong here i i actually i don't know if i can do medical device sales like those those were real thoughts i had like 2 weeks out of training yeah like and and i had a i had a mentor of mine who sat me down over a nice dinner and he was like you can do this yeah. He goes, I, I, I can, he goes, I can read your mail. I know what you're thinking right now. He goes, you can do this. You can do this. And he just kept telling me that. And it sounds so silly and so stupid, right? Like here on this podcast, we're talking about it. It sounds dumb. I'm telling you, it made a difference for me. And I was like, he's right. I can do this. And he listed out in my life because he was a, a close friend. He was like, this is where, what you've done in the past. This is where you've been successful. You've done this. You've done that. You've done that. He's like, you can do this. This is right. not too much for you. And yeah. it, it was just enough for me to have like confidence to go execute and believe I could do it. And you know what? It allowed me to do it. It did. I, I love that story. That's cool. Um, for me, what's worked for me is I, I like the fake it till you make it. All right. Yeah, so, so sometimes yeah. I have, you know, everybody has those feelings, you know, they start something new and they're like, Oh boy, that I'd yeah. bite off more than I can chew. <laughs> sure. Yeah. My, my mindset all the time, whenever that happens in my, in my own personal life career, whatever the case might be is I'm, I'm just like, I got to fake it till I make it. I got to fake it. What, what would a successful person do in, in my shoes right now? What would they do? And I, I just try to emulate that until hopefully it works. Um, or I learn and you know, I fail and, and then I find something that works. So I think that, uh, I think the confidence thing comes 
once you do that enough times, you put yourself out there enough times and you kind of, yeah, you know, once you, you make it after you, after you fake it, uh, oh, then you, then you have confidence that you can do things that you don't know how to do already or that you can learn them. So, um, I think that's crucial. That's exactly right, Scott. That's really a good point. You, you took the jump and you realize you didn't splat on the ground. You know, you didn't fall and break your leg. You took the jump and you're, and you're still going. I, I mean, that's really important because you're, you're building and working that muscle of confidence. And I, I actually needed that in, in my situation. But um, it's just really important. Thanks for listening. That's, uh, I, I think it's helpful for all of us to think about what are ways we can be, you know, taking more like calculated risk in our lives, in our careers, in our finances, in our families. Um, it's just, it's just really important. That's what I believe. All right, Scott, let's move on into some questions that need answers. If you have a question that you would like to be answered by Scott or myself, we would love to tackle it. We'd love to wrestle with it here on the podcast. Go ahead and send it in an email to questions at dollarsandhops.com. Or you can text us individually if you know us. Um, or DM us on Instagram. Scott, I don't have social media anymore. I don't oh even know this. Gosh. I got to get that. I got to get go Instagram again. over to over to Courtney. Uh, she needs to start managing the Dollars Hops Instagram for us. So anyway, <laughs> listen, send us a question. We'll answer it. Scott, we do have a question here for you. Uh, and it's from Anonymous. Anonymous writes in, what are your thoughts on Experian Boost? Will this help me get a better loan rate when applying for a car loan or a mortgage loan? What do you think, Scott? Yeah, so th- thanks for the question. Um, I, this I had to do a little bit of research on this. Ex- Experian Boost. I never heard of it. Um, from what I gather online, it looks like it's basically it's like a paid service. So you have to pay Experian, which is one of the three major credit bureaus out there. There's TransUnion, Experian, Equifax. Um and you, it sounds like it's like a paid subscription type of service where you pay Experian and they look at more than just your credit history. And what I mean by credit history is like your credit cards and your mortgage loans and all of that. That's usually what pulls in to give you a credit score and gives an idea to lenders whether or not to lend you money or not. Now, Experian Boost will basically give lenders additional information that you're going to provide to them. And it it pulls in phone bills and utility bills and other bills that happen on a recurring basis. And it reports whether or not you've made on-time payments. So it's a way to increase the amount of history that you have on paying on bills and it can increase your credit score um, by you know, kind of by kind of reporting that data to a potential lender. The issue that I found when I was looking into Experian Boost is that not all lenders look at Experian Boost to make credit decisions. So if you're applying for a mortgage or a car loan and that lender or that or that um, or, or that that person that you're buying that asset from is not looking at Experian Boost to make credit decisions. Well, it doesn't really matter. So um, I would say this is kind of hit or miss as to whether or not it would actually work. It's totally possible that it could work. 
Um, but I feel like in most circumstances that lenders are not going to be looking at Experian Boost. I think they're just going to look at your traditional credit report. So I'm not really sure it, it would be worth it. Um, so that, that's kind of what I would say. I really don't know a whole lot about it, but it's definitely worth looking into. Um, but I, I just, I, I've never heard of a lender actually using a Experian Boost to, to make a credit decision. So that, that's kind of my, my word of caution when it comes to this. Awesome. Well done, Scott. Learn something there. That's good. All right, Lance, I got one for you. This one comes from Dan. What are your thoughts on permanent life insurance? I recently had a meeting with an insurance agent who was pitching it. It sounded too good to be true. <laughs> Is it? My brother, Daniel. What's up, bro? Thanks for writing in. Um, yeah, I hate to break it to you. It is too good to be true. Um, so typically, it's pitched something like this. I believe this is actually what you told me it was pitched like. Um, why? Listen, hey, why do you want to buy term insurance? when you? That's like renting your house. When you want to own the house. And so don't you want to – you want to own whole life insurance or permanent insurance so at the end of it, you actually have something to show for it, right? It's not just throwing money away. That's a pretty slick – pitch right scott i mean that's it, it. it it is pretty slick but what 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 is so for somebody it, that doesn't know yeah what's the difference what, so, what's the difference I, between I think, I term think we've, and we touched on this a little bit in, in prior episodes uh but real quick term is just going to be for a specific term a specific period of time usually like 15 or 20 years it would be a a, a, a pretty common term life insurance for a specific dollar amount and it's cheap that's the most important part and the best part about it. Term life insurance is just that. It's for a specific period of time and you're paying for, you know, usually 10 or 12 times your annual pay. And in the event you die, it pays out to the beneficiary for what it's designed for. And that's exactly what I, what I want to get across is that when you're buying term life insurance, it is the best life insurance and the only life insurance you should have because it is the cheapest and it achieves the purpose of what insurance is meant for, right? Which is that you're going to pay the least amount of money to get the most amount of coverage in the event that you die, what life insurance is for. That who's going to be left in the, you know, left in the cold or left uh, you know, in want or in need who depends on you and your income. So typically a spouse, maybe children, and, you know, 10 to 12 times your annual pay is going to be a, a kind of the range we look at. The reason whole life insurance is not a great investment, anytime you, you mix investments with insurance companies, you're going to get a crappy product. It gets expensive. It gets ex Why does it get expensive, Scott? Commissions. Fees. High commissions. Commissions and fees. and fees and higher rates and all kinds of bullcrap. You're never going to have pitches. an insurance. Yeah, you're never going to have an insurance agent pitch you term insurance. Why is that? Because they don't make any money. They don't make any money on it because it's cheap, right? <laughs> it's, it, that's, it, and wait a minute. If we actually put on our, our thinking caps for just a minute and think, it's like, well, of course, that would make sense, right? So why wouldn't I go with term life insurance? the cheapest option for life insurance that it still achieves what it needs to achieve. Whole, whole life insurance is a horrible rate of return. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Horrible rate of return. And if you took the same money you're putting in a whole life insurance policy, put it into something 
brainless and simple like the S&P 500 index fund, right? That Scott and I love. Go back and listen to our compound interest episode, right? Go back and listen to the S&P 500 episode so that you know what exactly we're talking about when we say put it in that. The difference is astounding. We're not talking like, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks at the end of a couple years. No, dude, we're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars over 30 or 40 years if you're choosing term life insurance over whole life insurance because of that simple decision and not kind of like bending to your brother-in-law who happens to be selling whole life insurance and is kind of guilting you into this. Don't fall into that. Don't do it. And just get the term life insurance, what you need. And the last thing I'll say, life insurance is to protect those who are depending on you, right? You only need it for a specific period of time, right? Eventually, if you're living on a plan, if you're living on less than you make, you're giving along the way, you're building wealth, you are setting yourself up for at some point in the future, you will be what's beautifully known as self-insured. And there comes a time where you don't need term life insurance and you sure as heck don't need any whole life insurance. And you get all those payments out of your life completely. And now everybody's taken care of because you built a nest egg that needs to take care of those people. So all that to say, do not go for whole life insurance. It's a horrible product. It's a horrible rate of return. Go for term life insurance. It achieves its purpose at the most efficient rate, the cheapest rate. Go with that. Lance, I sensed a lot of passion. A lot of passion on that. I got it. Listen. I feel like I'm on the defensive a lot lately. I got some friends kind of coming at me in some ways. And uh, I mean, there was, okay there was some disagree. passion listen, there, baby. We got I love a lot it. of friends maybe who like don't even listen to the podcast. Because if you're listening to this podcast, we hope by now you agree with us on a lot of these things. Like it's like, hey, it's kind of like common sense. Like, hey, if you can think for yourself and like these things kind of start to make sense, I'm biased. Now I'm getting real off the rails. But uh, listen, <laughs> it's common sense. Uh, sometimes you're going to upset some people because they make a living doing something that they, they have, you know, they believe in and that's fine. I'm not trying to tear down their living. Right. But for you, for your family, what you're making choices on, what I make choices on for my family, what Scott does for his family, like you need to do what's best for you and your family. Right. Right. And term life insurance to protect your family and loved ones until you are self-insured is the most efficient way to insure your family. Couldn't agree more, Lance. Let's go ahead and hop into the Hops Showdown portion of the podcast. We're going to put the beers head-to-head, establish a oh, I victor. Love it. Lance, love. how was the beer tonight? The pumpkin ale. Oh. It was an imperial pumpkin ale. Um, I'm going to read off the uh, little bit here, what we got here. 10% alcohol by volume, uh, brewed with uh, pumpkin Definitely got that cinnamon, nutmeg, clove, and even cardamom, which is a spice that's kind of more like wintry. Mm. Uh, listen, this was uh, pretty epic. Um, I've had a lot of pumpkin beers, and I I think sometimes the downfall of a pumpkin beer is it's too much. Um, it's kind of too light mm-hmm. and kind of malty and kind of a. Uh, the finish is not, you know, I like my IPAs just like you do, right, Scott. Yeah. And so sometimes it doesn't have the bite that you want. Um, this is the Imperial Pumpkin Ale 
and I liked it a lot better than just a, a typical pumpkin ale. Um, I don't think I've had anything by D9 before, D9 Brewing Company, but this was good, man. Uh, whew, I gotta give a score here. I, uh, man, I'm really struggling here. I think it's a 92. Wow. It's a 92. Big number. It's a, definitely did not taste like 10% alcohol by volume. It was a little dangerous in that sense. It tasted a lot less, but uh, very tasty. Definitely in season. What do you, what I'm going to have to got? try that one. Um, so this, uh, this again was from Trogues Independent Brewing. Thank you again, Pat, for the beer out of Hershey, Pennsylvania. This was called the Nimble Giant. I'm going to read right off the can. Without sway, there can be no balance. Our double IPA gracefully boasts grapefruit rind, pineapple, and honeysuckle oh, notes oh, with a hint son. of earthy forest floor. Behold the wonder. Is that like mud? Like mud and like bushes? I was what? like, this is weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, earthy floor. Weird. <laughs> I didn't get the earthy forest floor taste. Earthy floor. Luckily. But... um. Uh, yeah, it pours like it's like a kind of like a golden orangish color is kind of what it pours. I definitely got a little bit of the fruity notes, not as much as I would have liked. I, I like kind of that citrusy IPA, um, but it was very well balanced. Excellent, excellent beer on the can. It says once a year, so I'm I'm assuming they only wow maybe they only make this once a year. I'm not really sure. It says it Sounds all like over it. the place once a year. So uh, maybe it might be hard to find. Not sure. Um, excellent. Excellent beer. Um, I'm struggling a little bit. I mean, it was good. I know. I, I know. I'm going to go. Uh, it's not 92 good. I'm going to go 89. So you're, you're going to take this one, Lance. Oh, man. I, I will say that the can art on this Imperial Pumpkin Ale had a headless horseman holding a pumpkin. Oh, wow. Pretty freaking cool, man. That's pretty, pretty awesome. freaking cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty neat. All right, Lance, I'm going to leave everybody with our action step. Have you often thought about taking a risk in your life but got caught up in analysis paralysis, as I like to call it? Mm. While it's important to understand the pros and cons of any risk you're taking, sometimes the biggest risk is not taking one at all. This is Lance. This is Scott. Live and give on less than you make and invest the difference. Dollars and Hops out. You have been listening to the Dollars and Hops podcast. Optimizing your financial future starts with taking action today. Got a question? Shoot us an email at questions at dollarsandhops.com and the guys will tackle it on a future episode. Visit our website, dollarsandhops.com for show notes and the craft brew lineup for each episode. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Thanks for listening. Earthy forest floor. Behold the wonder. Is that like mud? Like mud and like bushes? I was like, this is weird. Uh, earthy <laughs> yeah, floor. Weird. I didn't get the earthy forest floor taste. Earthy floor. Luckily. But, um. Uh, yeah, that's good.